You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 587 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Sunday, and it is the week of the NBA Draft, which is very, very exciting. If you've been asleep or under a rock for the last several weeks or months, you would probably not know that, but at the same time, I think most Hawks fans are primed and ready for the festivities on Thursday, June 20th. I'll be on the scene over at the Hawks practice facility for all of the stuff that goes on, and uh, looking forward to that, of course. If you've missed it, by the way, in the recent past, we've had a ton of NBA Draft content on this particular feed with uh, visits from Sam Bassini of The Athletic and Brian Schroeder and Chris Stone and Jeff Siegel and Jackson Frank and Ben Pfeiffer, all kinds of people um, that have been here the last couple of weeks to take deep dives into the NBA draft. Uh, Tyler Jones as well has been a frequent contributor to the podcast and he's one of the fan favorites. So uh, shout out to Tyler if you're listening to this and all that fun stuff. So um, this will be a short one probably in comparison to those considering it's just going to be me today. But there is at least one, if not more than that, uh, interviews scheduled uh, this week before before the draft transpires. And then, of course, after the draft, I'll uh, have a late-night breakdown, and then we'll go into some, some depth with some people after that. So I uh, have no fear. The uh, the length, which people you know can either, either love or hate, I know that some people like the, the short um, solo podcasts, sort of in and out for your commute. Others like the long-form interview kind of stuff. So we, I, I like to provide a mix of both of those whenever possible. And uh, I was traveling this week. Hopefully you can tell if you're a listener to the podcast regularly that my sound quality is better now that I am back home. Certainly exhausted and have a weakened voice, but uh, here we are to talk about some new stuff, uh, mostly on today's podcast. So, with that out of the way, a couple of news, quick quick things to hit on here on the pod. I will say, uh, nothing rose to the level of like huge uh, news in terms of the Hawks. We'll touch on the Anthony Davis trade momentarily, but um, first things first... Uh, ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni shed some light on, uh, I guess for the first time publicly, on the Hawks being linked to DeAndre Hunter. Part of today's podcast is going to be just a refresher on the Hawks have now been linked prominently to Hunter, Jarrett Culver of Texas Tech, and... Uh, Cam Reddish uh, multiple times now, so it's all those things where uh, there's a lot of smoke, and uh, you know, depending on who you listen to and which Hawks fan you encounter, um, you could probably have people having lots of opinions on what the Hawks are going to do and who the Hawks are definitely taking and all this stuff. Um, my advice would be throughout this podcast and the entire rest of the week will be caution um, because the Hawks have now been linked to multiple guys, and that usually means that somebody has bad intel or they just like all three of them, and we'll see what happens from there. So. The specific reporting surrounding Hunter is, that, and I'm going to quote here from the story from the mock draft, actually, from ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni, and he says the following. The Hawks are very high on Hunter. Per sources, they are the only team that Hunter has worked out for. And Atlanta might try to package some combination of its six picks in this draft to move up and select him, but the Bulls might want to add Hunter if they can just grab him at number seven, which is where he was projected in the ESPN mock draft. But obviously, the Atlanta part with Hunter is interesting because, as I mentioned before, he had not been publicly written about as terms of the Hawks liking him. I had heard the Hawks liked Hunter for a while, not like, you know, overly over the moon. You know, every time that somebody says that the Hawks like a player, people assume that that means that's, that's, the, that's their guy for sure. And I, I'm always hesitant to say that. They like Hunter, uh, from what I from what I understand, and this is a uh, sort of uh, confirmation of that because uh, Jonathan Gavoni has good sources. I believe that the Hawks like Jared, uh, the Hawks like DeAndre Hunter. I'm not surprised at all about that. With that said, I, I don't know 
personally, and I'm you know, and no one's reported that they like Hunter above all else. The, the uh, workout nugget is interesting because a guy like Hunter, who's projected widely as a top five or six pick, working out for the Hawks at eight and having them be, be the only team that he's worked out for is very interesting, obviously. Um, I don't know too much about that, and there's always private workouts that, that do not get reported to anyone, much less um, publicly, and that's something to keep in mind here, but that's at least an interesting um Interesting thing there, and I am long on record as liking DeAndre Hunter on this podcast. I've talked about that quite a bit with all of the guests recently, as well as dating back to my own stuff from earlier in the year. I'm a big fan of Hunter. The upside is not terribly high, I will say that, as an offensive player, but as a two-way projectable role player, that's not the sexiest thing in the world. I understand that for a top five, seven, eight pick in an NBA draft, but in this class... I think he's a top five guy for me, and that's one of those things where you should have to put that out there for um, just, <laughs> I understand it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but he's someone who the Hawks should be looking at and should be interested by. If you want to um, put something out there that maybe wouldn't be ideal for the Hawks, is that Hunter might be more of a 3-4 combo forward. That wouldn't bother me, because I think he, I think he certainly can play the three and, and play it well. But if you are someone who fully thinks that John Collins is exclusively a power forward, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that I do not think that. I think he's a primary power four right now and that's totally fine he's very good there obviously I think he should be at least flashing to center on occasion in small ball lineups but if you if you hate that idea if you think Collins is just a four and four only you may not love Hunter because Hunter I think will get some value from playing small ball four at times in smaller lineups because he is big and physical, um, and his offense is not terribly dynamic off the off the dribble. With that said, I think he's certainly a big physical win the Hawks need. I've said this before on this podcast, but I'll say it again now. The Hawks don't have a single small forward on the roster. They have guys that can play there and have played there in Kent Bazemore and DeAndre Bembry. Even Kevin Herter has some decent size to play small forward at times, um, but Guys that are under contract under contract right now, no one is is what you would call a pure small forward, like you know six eight two hundred and twenty pound kind of guy. Torian Prince was the only guy on the roster like that, um, heading into the offseason. Now he's of course in Brooklyn. So. All that to say, Hunter has some serious appeal, and that was the first time that got reported, so people were asking me to weigh in on that, and uh, that is what I have just done on the podcast. We have more to come in a few seconds, but uh, after this short break, we'll come back and touch on the rest of it. Please take a word, take a minute to listen to the word from this sponsor. All right, and we're back. Um, one more nugget that I wanted to touch on, and I think I hit on it briefly um, during one of the interviews this week, or maybe even more than one of the interviews. Uh, it's all blended together right now that I did. But um, Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated wrote uh, earlier in the week, actually, we're almost a week ago now as I record this because I did not, did not do a, a pure news show last week. But uh, Jeremy Wu reported, he's a very good reporter, has good sources, and one of the best NBA draft guys doing this. He says, and I'm, I'm going to read this now about Jarrett Culver, according to league sources, Atlanta has been angling to move up in the draft by packaging their various picks and continue to explore the possibilities there. Their primary target would seem to be Jarrett Culver, and they would likely have to get ahead of Phoenix to get him because Phoenix apparently likes him. That's the end of that. Um, that's the end of the quote, I should say, from Jeremy Wu. Obviously, no surprise the Hawks have been exploring. It's something I'll say now, just as a general rule in this class, I am open to just about anything with it when it comes to Travis Schlenk. I, I trust him to make an evaluation. He is not shy about pulling the trigger on deals. We've seen that now in the last two drafts. He's uh, been very uh, sort of assertive in what he wants to do. And with six picks, I am reticent to proje- to flat out project anything. It's something I've been saying to people when they ask me in, in direct messages or text messages or replies on Twitter. You know, People want my prediction, and my prediction is they're going to do something off the board or they're going to make a trade of some sort because they're just not going to make six picks. That's the one prediction that I will make is the Hawks are not going to make six picks in this draft. They'll make a trade somewhere, whether it be trading up, trading down, or trading out into the future. With that said, you know, other than that, I don't really have firm predictions. I think they're going to come away with at least one 
wing or forward in this class. Probably, mul- I would probably say multiple, but only because they have six picks. If they were to package up, they're going to come away with at least one guy that can play on the wing. I would be pretty surprised if they didn't do that. But aside from that, it's just kind of difficult to say. You know, now that we have the the Culver report out there, the Hunter report out there, and by the way, um, previous to this reporting from from Jeremy Wu, there was the Sean there was the, there was the Sean Devaney reporting about Culver being a potential target for the Hawks back before the lottery. Um, obviously, Cam Reddish has been linked to the Hawks repeatedly for a long time. Reddish, I've uh, at least heard a little bit less about the Hawks maybe trading up for him. He seems to be the consensus guy in terms of people that I've heard from and talked to and read, etc. If the Hawks were to stay put at 8, I think Reddish is by far the most likely guy to be picked at 8 because A, he will probably be there or at least has a higher potential to be there than guys like Hunter and Culver. And B, the Hawks do like him and if they stay put there, he's probably the best player available. You know, I've, I've, I've taken him as the Hawks in multiple mock drafts that will sort of be uh, my opinion on the subject. I'm not overly, uh, I'm not over the moon about Cam Reddish, but you know, I've been accused of being too low on him that's fine but at the same time I'm, I'm a guy who's drafted him multiple times when acting as the Hawks in various mock drafts so I think at eight it's a perfectly reasonable pick he's a very is a very interesting talent and we'll talk about more more about uh, Reddish in the future if we need to do that but with that said there's just a lot of reporting these are the three guys and I guess if you wanted to add Nas Little and Sekou Demboya those there's sort of a five pack of um, wings and forwards in the class that you could consider with the Hawks picks here but the three most prominent names that everybody keeps talking about Culver Hunter and Reddish are are all linked to the Hawks, and um, that means that you know they probably like them all. That's, that, that wouldn't be out of the ordinary for the Hawks to like them all, and that, and that leaves the Travis Check with a lot of options to move up, move down, and move around in this class. Actually, through that prism, Schlenk was available to the media on Friday. I was not there for that because I had been out of town for my grandfather's funeral, and I'm now back. But um, Zach Hood of Peachtree Hoops was there, Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com and the ATL 129 podcast. Those guys were on the scene. I talked to them and um, sort of gathered some information here. Zach wrote about it for Peachtree Hoops.com. And I guess the headliner there, there were some interesting comments made by Schlenk. Nothing you know, terribly out of the ordinary with a couple of uh, days remaining before the draft. But the headliner that everybody sort of latched on to was that Schlenk, flatly said that I'm, I'm going to quote here from him it's no secret that with our second with our three second round picks we're going to try to package them and move up if we can what we don't want to do or what we'll try to avoid is selling them end quote so Okay, no one is surprised by this. You know, that's a very, very popular notion that Hawks fans have been having for a long time. Even when they only had five picks, now they have six, of course, was just, you know, the packaging of the second round picks to try to move up. Schlenk later in the interview did acknowledge that it's, you know, easier said than done kind of thing. Everyone kind of un- understands what the Hawks are trying to do, and you have to find a, tra- a trade partner. It's something that I've always said on this show and other places is that trades are a lot easier to discuss than they are to actually execute in the NBA draft because you need a willing partner to move up or down. Um, in this case, you would need a team with a late first round pick or maybe even like the number 31 pick, something like that, in the second round. You would need one of those teams to want multiple swings, which I wouldn't mind for one of those teams, especially if you have a team that's pretty bad picking at the picking at the top of the second round. Like if whoever has the 31, uh, you know, 31, 32, 33 picks, if there's a guy the Hawks fall in love with there, that they fear might be gone by 35, going out and trading up makes a lot of sense. But you need a team that's bad enough that has a lot of holes to move down and go ahead and execute that. You know, famously, this is also true in the first round and the second round, really, is the Cleveland Cavaliers. I actually did a hit with the Locked On Cavaliers podcast, and Chris Manning, those guys do a great job covering the Cavs up in Cleveland. And uh, we kind of agreed that the Hawks and the Cavs are perfect trade partners in a lot of ways. You know, most of the attention is going to be on, on the lottery because the Cavs might want multiple swings and they have the fifth pick. And that makes a lot of sense for the Hawks to go up to from eight to five. That's been out there in the ether for a few days now. But at the same time, um, even the second round, you know, the Cavs have number 26 in the draft. Maybe they want to take 26 and trade it for 35, 41, 44, or a combination of those picks or a future pick, something like that. I would not blame the Cavs at all for, take, for taking a swing because they just don't have that many assets on the roster. The Hawks are still in talent acquisition mode. 
at the same time, they don't want a ton of rookies. You know, Travis Schlenk's on the record as saying that. So uh, they don't want five, at least that's one thing that he's definitively said, they don't want to bring in five rookies. I think four is in play, given that they have six picks, and I think three is probably the minimum that they'll have coming in. I could be wrong about that, but it's just one of those things that if you read between the lines, and it's just really tough to make multi-pick trades. So keep that in mind as we talk about this stuff. But all that to say, that's the, the headliner was, I guess, the common sense notion, but it's interesting that we said it out loud that they're trying to move up and package the picks in the second round. I will criticize the Hawks for selling a pick. Uh, you know, Any pick, honestly, I think should be taken if you're an organization that doesn't have monetary concerns, and the Hawks really don't. I, you know, I was happy to see Travis Schlenk say that they'll try to avoid selling picks. Even kicking it down the road like they did last year from 34, they traded into the future with Charlotte. Um, I didn't love that trade, but at least they got assets for it. If they were to sell a pick, I would not be a big fan of that move at all, because normally you could at least get a future second round pick from somebody and that to me is better than selling a pick just for money in Tony Russell's pocket because if you're a fan of the Hawks that money does nothing for you that money just goes in the ownership's pockets uh, I understand they might they might spend it down the line but there's no salary cap benefit etc so that would not be a good outcome and I was glad to hear Travis Schlenk say that on the record so um, that's a lot um, of, I guess, minutia to hit on on today's podcast. I don't really have too much in the way of other uh, takes to offer just because I've been talking about the draft quite a bit. Again, I, re- I recommend going back and listening to the podcast that I've recently done with all the guys I named before, um, Sam Vecini, Chris Stone, Brian Schroeder, Jeff Siegel, Jackson Frank, Ben Pfeiffer. I have at least one in the hopper, hopefully, for this week. It's sort of a uh, one I'm looking forward to in a big way that hopefully will be up on Tuesday or maybe Monday night even. Um, but all that said, that's that's where I am right now. I don't have too much in the way of definitive takes to offer other than the fact that I am open to anything. That's probably the biggest takeaway that I can give you right now on Sunday night. Uh, it's 6.19 p.m. I'm recording on Sunday evening on, on June 16th here as I say this, but for me, there's just nothing definitive that I'm going to be sold on unless I hear it from a from a great source in the front office. Um, for me, it's just the, the board is wide open. I know I touched on that a little bit with Sam Messini on the last podcast, and we kind of agree on that, and even Sam wrote about, wrote about that a little bit as well in his updated mock draft with the Hawks. The consensus around the league is basically the Hawks could do anything, and that is a lot of fun in some ways, because you know there are so many possibilities and just the intrigue is there, and I really enjoy the draft. It's my favorite, it's my favorite part of the year. I think you probably you guys probably know how much I enjoy it just by how much we talk about the draft on this podcast. But it does make it difficult to flat out project things when I'm asked to do that, etc. And you know you know fans that want to have definitive takes of what the Hawks are absolutely going to do, and I, you know I would not I would just definitely encourage everybody to hold off on that, be open minded. The Hawks could do pretty much anything. Um, you know I'm on record as what I want to do. For instance. Um, you know, the uh, I did a mock draft or two in the last couple of um, in the last couple of days with locked on with a locked on mock draft, which I, which by the way you guys should go listen to. Unfortunately, that that took place after I'm sorry before the Hawks Nets trade, so I only had eight and ten in that draft. I took a pair of uh, forwards just to tease that out a little bit, and then the SB Nation mock draft. I also um, did sort of a similar um, approach. I will say I did um, just, just to plug my own work before we get out of here today. Um, my updated mock draft on Dime Magazine on Friday um, is interesting in that this is the one time of year um, where I actually sort of of throw the mock structure out there. Normally mock drafts are reserved for trying to peg what's going to happen um, and at least attempting to use your sourced intel or whatever you know. I'm never going to know quite as much as guys like like Sam Bassini and Jonathan Gavoni about the league, um, at least least for the prism of the draft. But I do hear hear things and know the consensus around the league, etc. So I do the mock draft stuff over at Uproxx. But this one was uh, every, every single year that I've been doing this, I think this is year three for me over at Up Rocks and Dime, I do a what I would do mock draft for uh, every single team in the league. So 
you know, it's not just only Hawks fo- only Hawks focus. I could probably rig it for the Hawks if I wanted to, but I didn't do that. <laughs> it's just one of those things where uh, I like to be true to my board, to, to for instance. So with that said, I did control every team and made the best possible pick for every team. It's not, and with that said, it's not really a realistic kind of mock draft, but to just share sort of my thought process behind a couple of things here before we get out of here today. The Hawks picks that I made, to spoil this a little bit, um, at number eight, I uh, went with Cam Reddish. And that's not, you know, that's not as to say that I'm over the moon at Cam Reddish, but, you know, I willingly took Cam Reddish. And I think he's a very interesting prospect, very talented prospect. Um, because it is my board before that, guys like Hunter and Culver and Barrett, those guys were gone. And so, you know, that, that left me with my number number eight player on my board, and that's Cam Reddish. And that was a pretty, um, I guess, standard pick based on the mock draft, et cetera, et cetera. From there, though, uh, the Wizards at number nine have, have, have Nas Little, who I have at number nine on my board. So I had to give him, you know, I've been on record as saying that I would like the Hawks to, take, to go forward forward or wing forward. But on my own board, Little is higher than most guys have Little. So that means he had to go nine, and that left me with uh, Gogo Batazzi at number 10. So that might surprise people. I got a couple of messages when I, after I posted this about the Hawks because I have been so stringent in saying that I would like to, you know, all things equal, have the Hawks take a pair of wings and forwards at um, 8 and 10. Number one, I am higher on Batazzi than I was a couple of months ago, just watching him more and more. We talked about that both with Sam and Brian, a couple of other people. I just like him more than I used to like him. And B... I am a little bit lower on Sekou Dumboya. I'm not over the moon. That was the decision that I was making, basically, was between Goga and Sekou Dumboya. It would not bother me at all if the Hawks went with Sekou, but I think um, pairing Reddish and Sekou is really risky. Um, Sekou has some downside potential because he's not, he's not really done it over a long period of time. Some of the tape is kind of bad. He's very young. Upside's intriguing, but I do like the Batazzi cam reddish pairing a little bit more. Goga's pretty safe, in my opinion. I think he's going to be a good, a good rim protector, a quality, skilled offensive player. A little bit older, but not, not terribly older. And, you know, I, I think Sam Messina was high on him. We talked about him on the most recent podcast as well. But I like that pairing quite a bit for the Hawks at 8 and 10. You know, ideally, I still would have taken Nas Little at number 10 if he was still there. But considering this is my board, I had to go there. And I would prefer Goga for the Hawks right now. I guess I could change my mind in the next four days. But uh, for now, I will say I, I prefer Goga to the likes of Brandon Clark and Sekou Dumboya. That would be the decision that I'd be making. And I do have Goga ahead of Jackson Hayes, for those of you who are wondering about that. Um, down at 17, it gets a little bit less interesting, I suppose, but um, just for, for the record of who was gone between 10 and 17, before we get out of here, Brandon Clark, Sagan and Boya, Grant Williams, Jackson Hayes, Romeo Lankford, Kevin Porter were off the board, and that left me to take Keldon Johnson from Kentucky. Um, it's not terribly uh, exciting, I would say, um, and honestly, you know, Side by side, I think I would probably prefer P.J. Washington as a overall player to his teammate in Kilden Johnson. But for the Hawks, Washington has a little bit less appeal, especially in a draft in which they we have just taken uh, Cam Reddish and Gogo Batazzi to go along with John Collins and Amari Spellman, et cetera, et cetera. So I went with the the more pure wing, obviously, and Kelton Johnson. I think he's fallen too far. I still have him as a, as a solid top 17 or 18 guy in this draft. He's not sexy at all, but he's a, he's sort of a 16-game player, can play on both ends of the floor, a pretty skilled guy offensively. He was once a lottery picking and just kind of fell because he's not very sexy. But at the same time, Kelton Johnson can really play. And I was really thrilled with this. Obviously, the entire point of this draft was not to – Game it for the Hawks, but I was taking guys that I wanted for different teams. So most teams, in my opinion, did well in this draft because it's my draft. But I love what the Hawks do. If you if you told me right now that the Hawks come away with this draft with Cam Reddish, Gogo Batazzi, and Kelton Johnson without without trading any future assets, that's a really nice haul. I you know if I had to guess, the Hawks are going to probably do something in the first round and won't be picking eight, 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 10, and seventeen. But I think the notion that it's absolutely guaranteed that the Hawks make a move is a little bit overstated in the first round. I think it might just be second round picks and stuff like that because they can they could try and fail to move if they. Don't have the 
the pieces sort of fall perfectly for Travis Schlenk. He's willing to stick there and make picks, I would imagine. So keep an eye on everything. But I wanted to end with that, just sort of share a little bit of my insight. Um, I took I took Johnson over like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Ruby Hachimura, and P.J. Washington, Tyler Hero. I prefer um, Kelton Johnson's two-way ability to some of those guys. And with guys like Langford, Porter, et cetera, off the board, that made it a pretty in- interesting and pretty easy pick for me, honestly, considering that I already had a center on board with Goga at 10. So I got some questions about that. Wanted to answer that. Got some questions about DeAndre Hunter and Jarrett Culver and Cam Reddish. And I hope, hopefully I answered all that stuff for now. And that's enough for today's podcast. Please subscribe to this show. I really appreciate everybody that's already done that. The numbers have been actually pretty darn good in the last couple of months. So I really appreciate all the support and the patronage. Check us out on Megaphone, which is our host provider. Also Apple Podcasts, the Himalaya app. Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, you know, Overcast, all those places that you like to listen to podcasts, we should be on all of them. If we're not, please let me know that. And if nothing else, we'll be back again with at least one more guest this week, and the draft is rapidly approaching, so please stay tuned for all the coverage.